Exodus chapter 13. We do have a few outlines left, I believe, if you would like one. They are they're going like hotcakes. Look at that. Just, oh, man, no. <laughs> okay, they're not, but we're trying to get rid of them, so uh, help us out. There's one up here, sir, if you got one. Oh, there's two up here. There's... Oh, and they're still, still, still left, still left. All right. Okay, we won't even charge extra for these. All right. Actually, charge these two ladies a couple, couple bucks for each one, maybe. We'll collect it later. All right. A couple weeks ago, uh, an email was sent to the church from uh, Steve Chastain. Now you say, I don't know who that is. I, I know you don't. Uh, because he was in a former ministry in Logansport, uh, Indiana, at Hillcrest Baptist Church, and it's been years since we conversed. And um, he just kind of, I, I don't know, some, maybe found it online or something to that effect, just sent a little letter, uh, and uh, he was my golfing buddy. Well, not that I golfed all that much, but he was uh, my golfing buddy. We went a few times, uh, and one of those is burned in my memory because um, his daughter came with him. She came only one time. In fact, that was the last time we golfed together. Um, now, we both had our own carts, and, uh, and she was driving her dad around the course. Now, I, let me explain this. Uh, golf carts, they come in a, different, a couple different uh, models, but these were the ones, uh, you know the ones with only three wheels? They'd have the two in the back, and then they'd have the one in the, in the front, just one wheel for steering and things like that. Uh, now, uh, this was the one with those three wheels. Uh, you got to know that you gotta, so you understand what's going on. Because we were at the top of a very steep hill. We had just uh, teed off, and uh, we began heading straight down, and we were picking up speed as we were going down this very steep uh, hill. And... Um, his daughter was driving it, and she panicked. And for some reason, she tried to slow it down by turning the wheel sharply. Not a good thing in one of those three-wheel vehicles. It flipped over, I, I don't know, it flipped over at least one time. Um, and it was, it was really quite, I mean, I'm behind them, and I'm watching this all take place. And I was amazed that they weren't seriously hurt by this cart tumbling over and over as they're kind of rolling down the hill and the cart's going along with them. Well, it came to a stop, still kind of on the, on the hill, and Steve is on the ground below the vehicle, and it's on his leg. So I, the, I run over to the vehicle his daughter is hysterically crying and she's asking her dad if he's okay and she's just standing there she kind of was thrown out of the out of the vehicle um and so uh you know and he's he's like oh my leg you know he's in he's in a lot of pain over this now thankfully there was nothing broken but uh i went over and this the full weight of this cart is on top of him and we're still on an incline and so the weight of that in addition is on his leg. So I'm grabbing with all my might and I'm trying to lift this cart and get it off his leg and he's trying to pull his leg out. Well, you know how strong I am, I, I you know. <laughs> you know, every time I say something about this, I, people laugh, I don't get it, all right? 
but, uh, but I'm just straining with all my might. And, and, uh, and, and by the way, you know, I'm, I'm smiling now, but I wasn't smiling then. I was, you know, concerned. I mean, uh, really, uh, it's just an amazing thing, again, that no one was hurt very seriously. Well, I'm trying. Steve is doing his best. He's, uh, Steve is a big guy. And, uh, and he was a pretty strong guy. And he is on the ground. Now, this, again, is on, it's crushing his, his foot. And he's there and getting his weight underneath and his arm underneath this cart as well. He's pushing. I'm pulling with all my might to try to get this up. And we just weren't getting it anywhere. He was able to pull his leg out a little bit. But then it came back down on his, on his foot. So we're in this predicament. Somehow he managed to get enough uh, of his, his own force and weight under it while he's still in pain and his leg is under there. And along with myself and then his daughter finally helping us out, she was just kind of like in, a, in a, a mess about the whole thing, but she finally helped out and we were able to get him out. Um, after a few minutes rubbing his aching foot, Steve pushed the vehicle back upright and we continued to play. Hey, dedication, dedication to the cause. Um, he got through the, the next hole, but then he quit, but he refused to let me quit and made, made me finish the rest of the round, which I was glad about anyway. But anyway, no, you, you say, oh, no, uh, the truth is I was ready to go at that point. But that story came to mind when I was preparing the message for tonight. You say, well, why? Because the main message found in our text is about uh, the strength of God's hands. And, um, you know, I've thought about it, quite honestly, it wasn't just that situation, but I've had many situations in life, and I think we've been reminded about that as well, where my hands didn't have the strength to accomplish what needed to be accomplished. I didn't have the ability to lift that vehicle off of, of Steve's leg. Uh, I didn't have the strength, and many times I haven't had the strength. I don't have the strength to uh, uh, turn turn my children's hearts uh, away from, from Satan's control. I don't have the strength to give myself or give anyone else good health when I would like everyone to have it. Uh, I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability in my hands to do many things that I need done in life. And I think if we're all honest, we've all been there. We've all seen people that were, were uh, under the cart of difficulty and we didn't have the ability to lift the cart, to get it out from under them, to make a difference. And as much as we may want to, we're unable, we're weak. But we are reminded in Exodus chapter 13 that there is a God who is strong, who has strong hands. Look, if you would, again at verse 3, And Moses said unto the people, Remember this day in which he came out from Egypt out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand... The Lord brought you out from this place. And you, you say, well, you know, is that an important point in this chapter? Yes, it is. Because in verse 9, it says, And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand and for memorial between thine eyes that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. And as we mentioned last week, it doesn't end there. If you look at verse 14, you find, And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What is this? That thou shalt say unto him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. And then we come to verse 16 of this chapter. 
And it says, and it shall be for a token upon thine hand and for the frontlets between thine eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt. So if you don't get the message of Exodus chapter 13 that every Christian should carry with them and be reminded, then you need to listen carefully. God has strong hands, stronger than yours, and he has the ability to work in ways that you and I cannot work. We may not have the ability to lift up, uh, uh, physically lift something up. We may not have the ability to physically with our hands bring healing to someone, but there is a God in heaven whose strength is not limited. In Exodus chapter 13, the whole chapter is about the fact that God was a strong God. And now they're at the Exodus. In fact, this is, if we want to entitle this, it's the Exodus. This is where God now has already proved himself to be strong of hand, strong enough to force Pharaoh, one of the most powerful men in the world in that day, to say, get out of here, when he said he wouldn't numerous times already and it changed his mind. And so God proved that he is a great God. And that is where we left off last week. It's the second point of the outline. We are in the reminder or the rejoicing, and that's found in verses 3 to 10. It's a time of remembrance. Remembering, first of all, verse 3, deliverance. Remember this day that God delivered you, that God worked. That's what the Passover was all about. Every year they were going to have a celebration. That's what's being talked about here. God is, going to, is establishing right now. Every year there's going to be a Passover. Every year you're going to be reminded. Every year you are going to have this event to remind you that there is a God who has strong hands and that, that God can meet your needs and that God can do greater things than you ever, ever imagined. And it was to be a, a time of remembrance, uh, a remembrance of, first of all, God's deliverance, verse 3, of God's strength in verse 3 and in verse 9 and in verse 14 and in verse 16. And then we pick up in this chapter as we are, again, talking about what's going to happen in this Passover feast. And uh, it says in verse uh, 4, this day came ye out in the month Abib. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites and, Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, which ye swear unto thy fathers to give thee, a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service in this month. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. And thou shalt show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand and for a memorial between thine eyes that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth, for with a strong hand the Lord hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. So we have a, 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 a remembrance of God's deliverance, of God's strength. But in this Passover feast, it's rather interesting that he talks about the fact there was supposed to be no leaven. Now, that may sound rather strange. You say, well, why wasn't there leaven? Well, it's because the people had to leave and they didn't have a chance to leaven their, their bread. Yes, that's true. But God established at the beginning, from here on out, when you celebrate this, when you have this week feast every year to remind yourself of the Passover, I don't want any leaven in your house. I don't want it anywhere in your house. There better not be any at all. In fact, in other places we're told that there was very serious punishment if they would have leaven in their household during that time. This feast was a feast to re be reminded of God. 
And there's another reason or another reminder of this. It was a reminder of holiness. It is interesting that leaven was not to have any part of their celebration. And the only possible reason for that is because of what it represented in that time. And what did it represent? It represented a holy God. A holy God without any corruption, without any defilement whatsoever, who delivered Israel from certain death. And so the reason for this uh, was because it, it, it represented and reminded them there is a holy God in heaven that sees what's going on and that deals with sin and unrighteousness and that also fulfills his promises and does what he, he said he would do. And so there was no leaven in this feast at all and they were not to have that because leaven was always a sign of defilement or at least it was in scripture. Now you say, well, pastor, you're... You're making this up in this matter of holiness. Well, actually, I'm not. Take a look, if you would, at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul actually references that very fact. And he talks about the leaven. He talks about leaven in, the, in, the, in a sense in the feast. And he says about that in verse 7, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. So Paul, when he was writing about Jesus Christ, this is an amazing thing. When Paul was writing about Jesus Christ, he referenced the Passover. And he said, you know, in the Passover, there's no leaven. It's pure, it's holy because it's representative and it's a reminder that there is a God in heaven that's holy that is working on your behalf. So he makes, a, and he takes that picture into the New Testament age and he says, Jesus Christ is the one who was pure and undefiled. And he says, you too need to be that way. And the leaven, the no leaven in the household was to remind them that like their God was holy, they too are supposed to be holy. And the same truth is tied to us in the New Testament when Paul talked about, in 1 Corinthians 5, dealing with a man who was in wicked sin in the church. He was having a relationship with his mother-in-law. Uh, I'm sorry, he was with his father's, his father's wife. And so he's having this relationship, and, and Paul says, purge out the leaven. Get it out. Just like Christ, the unle uh, our Passover was... was uh, was sacrificed for us, the one who is pure and holy, so we should be pure and holy in, in life. And so Old Testament sacrifices in the Passover was a reminder of the holiness of God and the importance of the holiness and life of the people. And they were to make that, they were to make that connection. And so God wants us to make the same connection in the New Testament. In fact, Peter referenced that fact when he says, but as he which hath called you is holy... So be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So this Old Testament celebration, if you would, this Passover was to be a reminder of the importance of holiness. And every time, by the way, we come to the Lord's Supper, we should be reminded of holiness. 
and we should remind it, be reminded of the one who was without blemish, who gave himself for us. I came across a story. A speaker was talking to uh, about his home growing up, and he said this. You know, it's easy for us to ac accumulate trash and get so accustomed to it, we think it's treasure. Uh, he said, mother cleans out the basement while father's at work, and as soon as he arrives home, he goes and he looks at that and he moves selected junk back into the basement. And so he said, in spite of flea markets, garage sales, and other things, we end up with more stuff than we started with. And he concluded by saying, wise is the leader who knows rubbish when he sees it and who has the courage to cart it away and get rid of it to remove it. Holiness is when a Christian recognizes the trash in his life and does something about it. Holiness had an important part in the Passover celebration. It has an important part in the picture of Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper. And it needs to be an important part of the Christian's daily walk and daily desire, as Paul commanded in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So a reminder of holiness. But if we go back to Exodus chapter 13, we find it's also a reminder of promises. Look in verse 5. He said, it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites. So what was he saying? Well, some actually believe from verse 5 and verse 11 that this celebration of the Passover was not to take place until they were in the promised land. Now, um, I don't believe that's necessarily the case um, because the Lord would have known that they were going to be 40 years in the wilderness at that time already. But um, whether that's true or not, the picture of this is that, hey, look, you're going to get into the land, was it not? So I put of promises. It was a reminder of promises. God has promised some things. And the children of Israel were not in the promised land. They weren't there. They weren't in the place that God said, this is where you're going to go. But God is saying, you're going to celebrate this when you get there. And you are going to get there, in essence. So this celebration is, is based upon the promises of God. Not what he has already done, but what he will do. And the Passover was a reminder of that. So here they are, not even in the promised land yet, and God's saying, celebrate the Passover. When you get there, uh, you're going to celebrate the Passover as well because I keep my promises. And may we re be reminded of that. And then uh, it was a reminder of responsibility. Well, what was the responsibility? Look at verse 8. What was the responsibility? Do you know with deliverance comes duty? Part of their duty was to celebrate every year and remind themselves of these different things. But part of it was also to do something else. Do you see it in verse 8? What was the responsibility? What did every parent have a responsibility to do? Instruct their children. To pass it on. Um, to share what it, what it was all about. Thou shalt show thy son, verse 8 says in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand and for a memorial between thine eyes that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth for with a strong hand that the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. 
And then again, we have that same truth once brought out in verse 14. And it shall be when thy son asketh thee in time to come. Because he's going to ask, why do we have this celebration every year? Why do we get rid of the leaven in our house? Why do we have to go through seven days of this? And, and it was all a great opportunity. It was a great responsibility. So let me share with you a couple of responsibilities, I, I think, from this passage. First, to instruct your children in truth. Do you know, and I, I've, heard, I've heard parents say something like, well, I don't want to force my, kid, my religion on my kids. I want them to choose to serve the Lord themselves. Uh, that sounds real pious. It sounds really spiritual, but it's not biblical. Uh, a Christian is to train their child in the way he should go. Uh, a Christian is to speak of what God has done. Uh, a Christian is supposed to instill in their children the truth. And that is their responsibility. And your kids need to hear it. And they need to hear it not just from the pulpit. They need to hear it from you. They need to know why you go to church. Why you pray. Why you dress as you do. Why you act as you do. And it shouldn't just be, well, we're doing this in our household and I'm in charge. Your kids need to know why. They need to know the reasons behind it and they need to know that, that God has worked in your life and God is working in your life. And every year, this Passover was just like a, 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 a lesson for parents and an opportunity for parents to tell their kids, God has worked abundantly in my life and I want you to know about it. And so uh, I would tell you that the responsibility of this passage is to instruct your children in truth, to speak openly and boldly about what God has done in your life. But it's also to remind yourself continually of what God has done for you. Uh, look at verse 9. And it shall be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand and for memorial between thine eyes. By the way, do you know why the Jews wear those those? the Bible verses on their forehead and they wear the, the phylactery. Is it phylacteries? I think that's the term. Whatever. They wear the things on the back of their hand. They get it from this passage. They get it from this teaching. Now, uh, it's amazing. You, you read commentators and they spend all sorts of time explaining the reasons why that is unnecessary. Um, the point seemed to be in this that it was just that you're never to forget what God has done. So that every year, you're to have this reminder that would be as clear to you and a, a reminder to you just like, you know, the back of your hand, just like something if you saw it on there where you say, wow, okay. So every year the feast was supposed to be that. It wasn't that you were supposed to have Bible verses on the back of your hand and carry that all the time and have that on your head so everyone would see a Bible verse and you appear very pious or whatever. The idea was that you're just never supposed to forget yourself. You're supposed to remind yourself. And I need to remind myself all the time because I make notes, I write notes, and then I lose the notes and I forget those things. And so every year, the children of Israel had something that would just never let them forget. This is what God did for us. And, you know, thousands of years later, seriously, Jews are still supposed to be doing this. Be reminded. And a lot of Jews do celebrate the Passover. And I, to me, it's an amazing thing that they could celebrate the Passover and not serve the God of the Passover. But the truth is, we need those reminders ourselves. So not just do our, not should we only teach it to our children, 
but it's ourselves as well. We just need that reminder. Um, uh, by the way, if you want to make an application for us, um, uh, testimony time at church is important. And I know that sometimes in some churches, people steal the show and it becomes an issue. Um, but as, as much as I'm able, I want God's people to be able to talk about what the Lord has done in their lives. And we need to always make sure that it's, it's focusing on God and what God has done and not what people have done. But um, may we just always remember and may we be quick to speak of the blessings of the Lord. We need those reminders. Your kids need to hear it. God's people need to hear it. So it was a time of remembering those five things. But it was a time of also rejoicing. Look at verse 6. Seven days Thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and then the seventh day shall be a what? Feast to the Lord. You know, uh, the Passover, the, the Passover was not supposed to be. Let's beat everyone over the head and get them right with God. Um, although it was supposed to be a time of reflection, and there should be a time. This was a feast, people. This was a feast. This was a let's get together and rejoice and how good God has been. So a time of remembrance, but also just a time of rejoicing. May we with joy celebrate our salvation in Christ. May we with joy celebrate his deliverance and his, all the things that he's done in our life. May we with joy truly come to a service and say, you know, I am so thankful for what God has done in my life. And this is how he answered prayer this week. This is what he did for me. This is how he worked in this situation. I serve a great God. It should be a time of rejoicing. We ought be able to just, just come together with joy in our hearts. I, I know sometimes we, we, make, we want to make everything some guilt fast, but this was a feast, people that the children of Israel every year were just supposed to come and say, God has been so good. We're in the promised land today because there was a good God 100 years ago. That's what should have been happening 100 years later, that 100 years ago delivered us from Egypt. We'd still be there today if God didn't, with his hands, lift us out of the miry clay and take us from that place and brought us here. And, uh, and my friends... Uh, if God didn't do that, it, there should always be a time of rejoicing for your salvation. If he didn't do that, you wouldn't be here today. And there wouldn't be any reason for you to come to church, and you wouldn't be in church if God didn't lift you out of the miry clay and do a wonderful work on your behalf. So may we rejoice. May we, may we just rejoice in what God has done. I love chapter 13 because it's the Exodus, but in the Exodus, there are so many encouraging things. I mean, this is a wonderful chapter. And it ends in verses 17 to 22 with some realities. And I'd like to share them with you real quickly. And, and uh, honestly, they probably could make another message. I know. But if I can, just share with you very quickly what is found there. And it came to pass in verse 17, when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea and the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him for he had straightly sworn the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and ye shall carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from Succoth and, and, and camped at Etham. 
in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, uh, lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. And so we have the, the, you know, the exodus now. We're leaving, okay? And there's some realities. First of all, they had God's plan and path. They had God's plan and path. Verses 17, 18, and 19. Now, we're going to share two important truths about God's plan, but contemplate the fact that God does have a path for life. Um, I, I've, I've read materials and I see things today and I, I hear people talk about, well, God really doesn't have a specific will for your life and you can do a number of different things and all those things would be the will of God. And I don't see that taught in the Bible. When I go through the Bible, I see a God who has a plan for life, whether it's uh, Joseph who, who goes through numerous difficulties in life and God seemed to direct in each and every step or whether it is the children of Israel going from Egypt to the promised land, God had a plan, and God has a plan. When I go to the New Testament, I see that God encourages me to present my body as a living sacrifice so I can prove the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has a will. He has a plan for my life. And there's a couple things that are interesting about this plan as we look at it at the end of chapter 13 as the people are leaving the land. First, we see it was a plan that protected them from danger. It was a plan that protected them from danger. Isn't it encouraging in Scripture to be reminded that God knows all about us? God knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses. Psalm 103, 13 says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Now, that's a wonderful enough truth. But the next verse, verse 14 says, For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we're dust. You're just dirt. All right, we don't like to hear that one, I know. But God remembers that. He remembers that. Look, I know your makeup. I know, I know what you're about. I, I know you're just, I know you're weak. I know you don't have the strength. I, I don't know you can't. I know you can't lift that. But if you'll trust in me, I can take care of these things. I know you can't get out of Egypt. I know you can't do this. And God is saying the same thing today. I know you can't. And whatever it is, you find your hands too weak to do. God can do it. But God had a plan and a path. And, and the first thing he understood and he shares with us is that he had a plan that protected them from danger. Do you see that? Verse uh, 17. All right, don't go through the way of the land of the Philistines. All right, God knowing their frame, God knowing that they were weak because God said, if they get into war, they're going to head back into Egypt. I know that. I know, man. So I'm going to direct them another way. Now, you know what the other way was? Trouble. But it was the way God directed them. God had a path for life, and that plan protected them from danger, at least in this case. It's no wonder Paul could share the truth. There's no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above your able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. All right, so Israel, I'm not going to lead you this way. I'm going to lead you this way. And here's the reason I'm going to lead you this way. If you go this way, you're going to get into war. If you get into war, you'll go back. I don't want that to happen because God knew their frame. So a plan, the plan protected them from danger. 
But you know what we read just a few verses later? Look in chapter 14, verse 2. Speak unto the children of Israel that they turn and encamp between Pi, yeah, that place, and, and between Migdal and the sea, over against that place too. Before, ye, before it ye shall encamp by the sea. Look at verse 3. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, they are entangled in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And you don't think the children of Israel would know that? We're stuck. So it was a plan that protected them from danger, but it was a plan that placed them in danger. Does anyone find that interesting? You know, God remembers our frame. And so there's a beautiful picture here. Okay, God says, I know you can't handle war, but I know you can handle being, being caught in the middle and not having anywhere to go because I'll be able to take care of it at that time. So God knew exactly what they needed, and God in his plan protected them, but God also put them in danger. And so is life. You know, people say, well, what, what good does it do being a Christian? Christians suffer the same as, as lost people do. Um, yes, they do. But it's only under the direction and hand of God, who often does protect us from danger, but sometimes he places us in danger. All because he knows exactly what we're like. He knows exactly what struggles we have and what abilities we have. And he knows what we can handle. And he knows as well what he's going to do. And so in his plan, he said, don't go this way, go this way. And you go, th go this way, you're still going to have trouble here. But I will meet the need and I'll take care of that when you get there. You can't handle that. You can handle this. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful picture? Quite honestly, that's what life is all about. And today, it's the same way. And sometimes as a Christian, we say, well, God, remove this from me. And sometimes God is saying, I'm trying to put you in the wilderness because that's the place you need to be and that's what you can handle. And when it comes time, I'll part the water for you. But you just got to trust in me to lead you in the right way. There is a like I said, there's a beautiful lesson that could require a lot, a lot, more, a lot more time. Let me just share with you a, a statement of Hudson Taylor. He was a missionary to inland China, as you know. At one particularly difficult stretch of life, he was heard saying these words. It does not matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies whether it comes between you and God or whether it presses you nearer his heart. What are you going to allow the pressure to do? God knows that the path he's leading on will press you closer to him. Now you determine whether that will happen or not. You determine whether that will happen or not. But God's plan is to press you closer to him. He'll never lead you on a path that will require you to turn back. He'll only lead you in a path that's going to take you where he wants you to go. And it's always going to be best for you. It'll drive you and press you closer to his heart if you allow it. But you determine what direction you'll go. 
in an article on temptation, someone said this, God has our best interests at heart. And you know what this passage teaches? It's true. God has the ability to deliver from temptation, but he doesn't always. He goes with us through it. The three Hebrew children, God could have spared them from the fiery furnace, don't you think? But don't you think those three Hebrew children were, oh, wow, had a much greater relationship with God when they came out of the fire, having gone through it? We would never ask for the fire, never ask to be thrown in. But it sometimes is best. And so they had God's path, path and plan. And then look at verse 20, 21, and 22. They had God's presence. Israel had God's help and presence every moment of every day. Think about this. Children of Israel, the guy, you know, um, some, some guy wakes up at, uh, at 5 in the morning. I'm familiar with that. Some guy wakes up at five in the morning and uh, he goes to his tent door, burdened about maybe some things going on in his life. He looks out the door and, he, and, and what would he see in that day? You see a fire, just reminded God's there. You know, during the day, uh, you know, things, things going wrong, struggles in the family, struggles on the, on the journey and everything else. All he had to do is look Look up and see, look, God's there. Now, we don't have that physical view today, but, but honestly, scriptures indicate we have something better. God's Holy Spirit within, bearing witness with our spirit, we're the children of God, and he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. So 24 hours a day, seven days a week, every day of the year, He's there. And the children of Israel just had that, they had a visible reminder. We have the, the, the verbal reminder of God in his word that all the time, every day, every moment of every day, if you wake up at five in the morning, if you wake up at midnight, or if you're still up at midnight, or if you're up at two in the morning because you can't get to sleep, there's a God who's still there. He still cares. He knows the path you're on, and you can look to him, and you can talk to him. Beautiful, beautiful picture throughout this chapter. In fact, quite honestly, I, I, I'm, I'm starting to think, and I still got more chapters to go, but I, I'm starting to think that Exodus 13 is my favorite chapter thus far uh, because it just uh, brings beautifully this picture for us uh, about, about God and who he is and what he's done. What last words would you leave with your children if you had a chance? They tell us that when Susanna Wesley was on her deathbed, she gathered her children around, here, around her, and as she neared the end, she was about to be called home to glory. She told them not to weep, but they asked, she asked them to sing a hymn of praise. Then with her last breath, she reminded them that the greatest comfort we have in any circumstance is that God is with us. And then she died. Think of how wonderful it was for Israel, again, to be able to look out and say, God is with us. 
Here's a lady that comes to the end of her life and the thing she wants to leave with her kids. Um, don't cry. Praise the Lord. God's with you every moment of every day. She could testify to that fact because she knew it in life. And, um, and God took her through the, the, the valley of the shadow of death and, um, and took her to glory. There's no cloud or pillar of fire, but God has given his angels charge over his own, and, um, and he's with us every moment of every day. So there we have it. Just some wonderfully encouraging and also, I believe, challenging truth as the children of Israel had out of the land. God took time to say, you're going to have a feast. Remember this. I want you to never forget the Redeemer. Remember that. That was back a week, a week ago. And he says, I want you to remember these things too. I'm there. I'll direct you every step of the way in life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.